The Tommy Pham thing is pretty dumb still. I, I can't believe that hasn't been – I hasn't just lambasted him in the media. I just – I don't – did you know that he got stabbed? Uh, in a separate incident, right? Like in a, yes, a bar incident or something. Fan, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah, related yeah. to fantasy football. Yep. But I no, he that. got stabbed in the back at a strip club. Yes. Two years ago. Right. He's a uh, loose cannon. And that and, was when uh, he was a padre. And that is like, I mean, I saw somebody tweet, you know, he's like, now we know why somebody stabbed him. Yeah. And I was like, somebody right. stabbed him in the back at a strip club. <laughs> it's not just that he got stabbed. Like, yeah. He's uh, that thing he said about I'm a big dog in Vegas just kind of no. is all you need to know about Tommy Pham, right? Like, yeah. he thinks that he's some cool cat because he doesn't even know how to play fantasy football. If you have to say you're a big dog in Vegas, you are definitely not a big dog in Vegas. If you're if you're the if you can't tell who the mark at the table is, yes, you're the mark. You're the mark. Yeah, the mark. And he was exactly. the mark. He was clearly the mark in this league. He's bitching about somebody putting a player who's out in an IR <laughs> spot. And then, like, two years later, he's slapping a guy on the field about it? That is right. Well, and he blames the commissioner, Mike Trout, for the whole ordeal. Mike Trout's not – He's everyone's just using the fantasy platform the way that you they allow you to use it. So if you didn't like the rules, Tommy Pham, when you signed up for the league, don't bitch at the commissioner after someone – and first of all, or I guess – third of all or whatever <laughs> using jeff wilson jr's ir status as a reason that someone cheated or stole your money or whatever he meant nothing to anyone last year at and all he, he quit the league over this by the way in the middle of the season and they completely goddamn disrespected me little idiots idiots no, i was completely it. respectful they're supposed to be my brothers right they're my brothers no no that's not fun what they were doing wasn't fun they come no. zapping us and zapping no, us no, idiots savages idiots <laughs> Welcome in to It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom. I'm Austin. Here with me, as always, is Taylor Witt. This podcast coming up as short as Josh Allen's putt on the last hole of the match, which is to say, pretty close. I think it'll be a pretty good pod. You know, that was almost a great putt by Josh Allen, who was being carried by Patrick Mahomes all day. And then, wouldn't you know it, Aaron Rodgers, like always, coming through in the clutch to win it at the end. That's what they say about Aaron Rodgers. He's just, he's a clutch player. He is a clutch player, and he was clutch all day. He started off with a – he banged a birdie putt in from about 20 feet on the first hole where I thought, oh, wow, Aaron Rodgers is head and shoulders above these other guys in skill level. And then Patrick Mahomes did his best Popeye spinach impersonation by popping a Coors Light and just became Superman and completely carried the young guns to a one-up lead. They were down two to the olds. And then Josh Allen just – kept shanking everything and kept, I mean, he basically, he and Brady were completely carried the whole game by Pat Rogers. Yeah. See, I, I was being sarcastic about Aaron Rodgers and the uh, coming through in the clutch thing, because he's well known to, to shrink in the spotlight, but at golf against other quarterbacks, he performed extremely well. His short game was bananas. I mean, like putting wise, he was by far the best putter in this yes. match. I, I yes. mean, Read the greens really well. Yeah, as had, you had were, a lot of 
as you yeah. tweeted during the match, uh, you know, on the, the second to last hole, both Josh Allen and Tom Brady had opportunities to take the lead and they both botched it. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you pointed out that they were both just terrible at putting. They were terrible at putting. Josh Allen came up uh, about 13 millimeters short on his, yeah. uh, his last putt of the game. No could have forced, could have forced, uh, could have forced playoff uh, on the last hole. He did not. Patrick Mahomes falls in the match. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers by stroke. It is what it is. You can find me on Twitter at real bird lawyer, him at Taylor underscore wit. If you want to see a live tweet of the match, maybe you didn't get a catch it live. Go check out his Twitter thread. The best part about it is that it was five to seven minutes behind the live broadcast because you were watching it on a bootleg stream, but you know what? <laughs> Some of us didn't even have access to a bootleg stream. So you were doing good work out there, buddy. We're brought to you as always by sports illustrated zero head report, which you can find at si.com slash NFL slash chiefs on Twitter at arrowhead report pigskin podcast network at pigskin Podnet. merch at our friends at Dabbod, dabbot.com or on Twitter at dabbot. Father's day is coming up like a great gift. This maybe celebrates us a little bit. You can also check out our latest sponsor, Underdog Fantasy. That is Best Ball. If you don't know what Best Ball is, I don't know. Go listen to a previous episode. I've explained it. It's basically <laughs> like you draft, and then you have a fantasy team, and it's awesome. It's really fun. You just do drafts. I've done like 50 drafts on Underdog. It's great. They will match your first deposit up to $100 with promo code SUNNY. I don't know. Anything else going on? Well, I do like the idea of if we have a promo – that we're tired of talking about. We're just like, just go listen to last week, man. Like if you want to know the details about this, we've talked about it all the time. So I think that's a good strategy from now on. So if you guys, if you ever want to know anything that's going on with our pod, just listen to every episode and you'll always know. Well, that's true. And for those of you that don't listen to every episode, you know, up your game a little bit. If you want to be one of the birds of war, those who are loyal listener fan base, they're, they carried this pod. We're going to get to it in a minute. If you want to be a bird of war, listen to every episode, rate and subscribe. Give us a five-star review, Uh, you know, contribute to the mailbag, join our discord server. You can DM Taylor about that. We got a lot of stuff going on. A lot of good stuff. Good podcast for you guys tonight. It's going to be news. And then we're going to look at some mailbag questions. We have done this thing where we're actually recording this on a Wednesday because we have a little golf to play tomorrow night. We do. We're uh, we're way into walkabout mini golf on our Oculus Quest 2s, which is the only game on Quest that has brought me back time and time and time again. It is an absolute classic. And they're coming out with a new fun course on Thursday that Austin and I are very looking forward to playing. So we moved up our podcasting broadcasting schedule from Thursday to Wednesday so that we can get an RT time, our match tomorrow night on the links in walkabout, which is going to be great, except that the Chiefs haven't really done anything at OTAs yet this week. There's not really a whole lot going on. We're going to talk about the news, but as I mentioned, our clutch listeners came through with a great batch of mailbag questions. We're going to hit those first. Let's get into the So we got to talk first about Orlando Brown's contract situation. He obviously is between agents. So we've been talking about this. He still doesn't have an agent. <laughs> the update here is that Andy Reid made it sound like the Chiefs are ready to pounce once he's got someone on board. Andy Reid said, and I quote, he's still working to get an agent. He's interviewing these different people. Once he gets that taken care of, we'll be able to roll. I know he's working out in Florida. Chiefs obviously would like to get a deal done before the July 15th deadline which is the deadline to extend players who are on the franchise tag so 
once they get past July 15th, either he's playing on the tag or he's refusing to sign the tag and he's sitting out for a year. The Chiefs can't extend him at that point. So obviously, you know the Chiefs want to get a deal done. You think Orlando Brown Jr. would like to get a deal done by then as well. Yeah, he, uh, you know, it's in everyone's best interest here to move forward with a long-term deal for Orlando based on the draft capital that was used to acquire him, based on his perception of his own abilities that he's one of the top, he wants to be paid like the top left tackle in football. And I will say at a premium position, getting paid like the top quickly becomes the top three, the top five, the top 10 in a couple of years. Like they, they always leapfrog each other on these deals. So, you know, it might, it might kind of rub some chiefs fans the wrong way when the chiefs back up the Brinks truck for Orlando Brown. But if you want a good tackle in the NFL long-term, that's the type of money you're going to have to pay basically no matter who he is. So I just brace yourselves because they're going to pay him a lot of money and everyone's going to talk about Tyreek Hill and who the chiefs can and can't or will and won't pay. And just know that you have to have to have to protect Patrick Mahomes blindside with whatever it takes. Yeah. So obviously uh, you would hope that Orlando is, uh, is getting this deal going. I don't know what goes into hiring an agent, but obviously I'm sure he has uh, a number in mind that he kind of wants to shoot for. And that may be part of the interview process. You know, there may be some agents out there that say, "Uh, I'm sorry, Orlando, but I don't think I'm going to be able to get that for you. I'm sure there's a lot that goes into the process, but obviously he's doing his due diligence. And it really does sound like the Chiefs are ready to make that a priority as soon as he's got somebody on board. What do you think the odds are that he hires Tory Dandy? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. Does Tory Dandy? I I don't know. Represent tackles? <laughs> yeah. Does he represent tackles? Like anyone I, other than a, wide receivers? This is a legitimate question. Because I know. Obviously, he represents like every good wide receiver in the NFL, uh, or at least everybody from that draft class, that 2019 draft class. That's good. I don't know. Does he okay. represent tackles? So his client roster includes. This does not say. It says among others, but AJ Brown, Chris Godwin, Eddie Goldman who I think is a defensive end. Uh, I think, Mar- yeah, Marshawn Lattimore, uh, Shaq Lawson, sure. Denzel Ward, Sammy Watkins, Devin White, and Mike Williams. So he, while he does have a stable of good wide receivers in there, he does have some other positions. I do not see a left tackle listed here, but um, yeah. So it does kind of make me wonder, like, are there some agents that feel more comfortable negotiating salaries for certain types of positions you know like are there guys that feel like i can go get a cornerback his money better than everybody else but i don't really know what centers do or or you know whatever and sure well you've got you know you've got lee steinberg patrick mahomes agent who obviously has represented a number of quarterbacks over the years you know obviously that's uh that's a very lucrative uh gig and those contracts are, are probably a little bit more complicated than your your average defensive tackle, um, you know, with the money being a little bit different and the incentive structure being a little bit different. But yeah, I, I it'll be interesting to see who he gets on board. Um, in other news, Chiefs continue with OTAs this week. We are recording this on a Wednesday. So Patrick Mahomes was just playing in golf uh, in Las Vegas. So he's not, you know, he wasn't at OTAs. I assume he'll be there tomorrow. We do have one item, though, that I wanted to talk about. And that was a little item from Andy Reid. I think this actually came from last week, but I came across it this week. Andy Reid says he has added plays back into the playbook to account for the Chiefs having taller wide receivers this year. And I I did a little digging here because obviously the Chiefs have undrafted free agent sensation, 
future Hall of Famer Justin Ross. <laughs> he's six foot four inches tall. Okay, assuming he makes the roster, which obviously he will. That's one guy. They have Marquez Valdez Scantling, who's a lock to make the roster. So they have at least one guy who's six foot four. They have Josh Gordon, who may or may not make the roster. He's six foot three. And they have Juju Smith Schuster, who's six foot one. You could almost throw Jody Fortson into that mix. He's yeah. obviously listed as a tight end. He's six foot six, which is crazy. Like I, I had forgotten how monster. Yeah, how tall Jody Fortson is. He's not necessarily the the biggest guy, but he certainly is is tall and athletic. He's really more of a tight end wide receiver hybrid. But the Chiefs in the Patrick Mahomes era, which is since 2018, have rostered. In, and this is 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021. So four seasons. They have rostered a total of two wide receivers in that time who are six foot four or taller. And those two wide receivers are Marcus Kemp, who has been on the roster every year, but has started zero games and has eight targets for four receptions, 42 yards and zero touchdowns in his four-year tenure with the Chiefs. And the other guy, hilariously, is Kelvin Benjamin, who also, of course, started zero games for the Chiefs. He started, he played in three games for the Chiefs in 2018 at the end of the season, got five targets for two receptions, 26 yards, zero touchdowns, has not played in the NFL since that time. That was the last time we saw Kelvin Benjamin on an NFL field. I think he was trying to make the switch to tight end, did not go well. So the Chiefs are guaranteed to have at least one starter who's six foot four. If Justin Ross makes the roster, you know, they may have two. I, I don't know if Justin Ross is necessarily going to start, but they, sure. they could have two guys on the team playing definitely way more significant roles than they ever got from Marcus Kemp or Kelvin Benjamin, who are the only other guys that Mahomes has ever had in his NFL career of that size. And so it's obvious that Andy Reid was going to be changing around the playbook to kind of take advantage of that. But it's interesting to hear him say, like, I had some plays in the playbook at some point in the past, and I'm putting them back into the playbook. How right. far back do you think he's gone here? Because it's 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 further back than 2018. Oh, I mean, it could be as far back as his early college days. I mean, it, you know, he, I'm sure, has never lost a play. I bet his playbook is as big as anybody in the NFLs, especially given his offensive, you know, background and history. I, I thought about how, you know, I always – think of Sammy Watkins when healthy as like the the ideal X receiver for the offense, at least as sure. far as they, they were at their peak when yeah. he was doing his thing and he's only six one. Right. And you know, you think about the, the ability to out jump a cornerback in the NFL can kind of smooth over any other problems that you might have on the play on with your technique, with your speed, with whatever else, if you can catch a jump ball, then it just, opens up so many doors for especially plays in the red zone, given the, those fades and those jump balls that you don't really have to run a route. You just run into the end zone and throw the ball up there and your six, four guy is going to go get it. And right. that's the type of luxury that the chiefs haven't had. I mean, certainly haven't had in a long time. And if they can exactly right, get some of these taller guys, mixed into the offense to the point where they are red zone threats. I especially think of Jody Fortson in the red zone. You know, he barely, we've barely seen what he can do so far in a chief's uniform, but what we have seen has been exciting and it's been some of the big play or big body plays that the chiefs haven't really had. So I do think that uh, this is a really fun opportunity for the chiefs to look a little different on offense. It's not, it's not quite Legion of zoom, you know, running by you type of stuff, but if they can jump over you, that's just as effective. 
Do you think uh, Andy is going to go back to uh, <laughs> some of his TO plays? Sure. I mean, absolutely, he could. And and he's going to six three. Ran a four four five. So. Six three. Man, he is a monster too. He, he was crazy. huge. Um, but I mean, it's crazy that MVS is taller than TO. I I think of TO yes. as being like like one of the bigger big yeah mm-hmm. big wide receiver and any of six three is huge, that, but. Two MBS. guys that might make the roster that are that are bigger than T.O. I guess I feel like it's the surprise there is that MVS is 6'4". Not yeah, really that sure. he's taller than T.O. The fact that he's tall. I mean, he, you know, doesn't really, maybe he didn't play like that. I, I don't know. I didn't watch a ton of Green Bay, but he always kind of seemed like a smaller fast guy, not a big fast guy. Yeah. So we've got another item on here. You threw this on here, so I'm going to let you take it, this next sure. little piece here. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we're talking about... Um, the the Chiefs had a debut a debut of their work to win uh video series, which was a lot like their it's kind of like a franchise type of production where 65 Toss Power Trap is doing the the interviews and they're kind of doing some cuts together of of just you know different behind the scenes stuff with the Chiefs. And so they debuted their first episode uh today or yesterday, I think this was, and they went and they talked to not only Veach, but the incoming free agents was kind of the main target there. None of the rookies, but they had a little sit down with Justin Reed, had a little sit down with Juju and just kind of talked about, you know, the Chiefs offseason approach and their their plan in the offseason and how they Justin Reed felt like he was their, you know, the apple of their eye, their number one target there. Um, Veach talked about how they had a game plan from the offseason and that was Justin Reed and they executed that early. I just thought it was fun to see that you know from the behind the scenes of the nfl we don't see a lot of that we don't really see a lot of how transactions go down we hear some stories and stuff but every time you can get a player and a gm to talk about the process before they signed and like you know juju said when kansas city wants you two off seasons in a row you got to just say all right well i gotta i gotta go do that and so you know clearly they they wanted him before the 2021 season and or i guess the 20 20 season and then they or sorry the 2021 because this is the 2022 season right so they wanted before last year and he ended up signing that one-year deal and we were all kind of a little miffed how he didn't come play for the chiefs but then he said you know another offseason comes around and instead of the chiefs maybe feeling spurned by the previous how the previous offseason went they went after him harder they wanted him again and he just figured well when kansas city keeps knocking you got to answer the door just fun. Uh, you guys should definitely check out on YouTube if you look for Work to Win. That's the Chiefs series there. They're going to do those once a week. It looked like they said their next one was June 7th, so I assume for a little bit they'll be doing one once a week. But, um, yeah, fun fun production by 65, Toss Power Trap. A little bit less fun production. Um, this is another item that you added to the uh, to the news items here, so I'm going to let you tackle it again. But Tyree Kill has a podcast, mm-hmm. uh, a little competition for us. Um, but but walk me through uh, what's going on with the Cheetah Pod. He posted a little preview today of his new podcast titled It Needed to Be Said. That's the oh the title of the pod. Um, and he, he was talking with Drew Rosenhaus, who was driving in his car and video potting, which just was a weird and bad look to be like, you know, trying to do an interview when you're clearly like in traffic, like it, like just fucking do it another time. I, I don't know why they felt that need, but um, it needed was, to be said. It, like right need, then. it needed to be said that right then and not a second later. But it's not uh, debuting until June 10th. So obviously, 
<laughs> yeah, they could have done it. I know. It was, it was ridiculous. They had time to maybe do that. But the, the thing that was passed around that people kind of commented on were they asked him, did you want to stay in Kansas City? And he said, I wanted to. I wanted to stay in Kansas City. He, like, really emphasized wanted to. And then his co-host, who I didn't recognize from name, so um, probably not a uh, NFL player, at least if he was, he was a no-namer. But he said, um, so is this – was this a situation where you asked for a ton of money? And Tyreek said, no, 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 no. And then he said the the thing that was kind of a little inflammatory that people have been spreading around, whereas he said, so was this a situation where you think the Chiefs were suppressing your stats in order to not pay you as much money? And like, it kind of cuts to Tyreek and he kind of, while he doesn't say yes, he doesn't say anything. He kind of does like a little reaction face to it and then it like cuts off and it says you know it needed to be said june 10th so like to me i'm predicting that tyreek is not going to say yeah i think they suppressed my stats i think that was them kind of trying to generate some buzz and some clicks sure. for, for that for that pod but i think there's clear you know factual evidence that's completely counter to the idea that the chiefs were doing anything other than using Tyreek Hill as much as they possibly could. I mean, he had the most receptions, the most targets of his career this last year, he was far and away the, the focus of the offense, even when Travis Kelsey was there. So like, I just don't think there's any merit to it. He had another 1200 yard receiving year for the second year in a row. He, everybody knew everything that Tyreek Hill could do statistically. And I just think that that was a case where Chiefs Kingdom is getting a little butthurt about the phrasing of that question, about the were they suppressing your stats, and I don't think anyone's really going to see Tyreek say, yeah, I think they weren't giving me the ball enough. I think he's going to have nothing but good things to say about the Chiefs other than the fact that they wouldn't pay him. But that's just my prediction. We'll see on June 10th if that is the case. Yeah, it's going to be – I mean, it's, it's obviously – it's something to – you know, drive traffic for Tyreek's brand. It's a little right. bit interesting, the timing. I mean, the guy got paid. He got paid as he wanted to be as the highest wide receiver, paid wide receiver in the NFL. Mm -hmm. He's in Miami saying good things about his situation in Miami. I don't know. It's a little bit, it's a little bit weird, the timing of it to me, because I don't really see what the point is exactly. Yeah. Um, I, it just, it's been sort of a weird breakup, right? Yeah. Like it just is, it's, it was obviously so sudden. We went from being like, this relationship is amazing. It's great. We love Tyreek. Tyreek loves us to <laughs> literally the, the breakup happened in like an hour, an hour. Yeah. And now he's in Miami and obviously he's, he's saying the right things. And, you know, I love playing with Tua and he's <laughs> accurate and his deep ball totally is good guys don't make fun of him on Twitter. And then he's putting out this podcast. I, it's just, it's a strange situation. I don't like it. It makes me feel weird. I'm sure we'll talk about it when he drops that and it'll drive content. And that's the point. I don't right. like it. I'm not going to feel good about it. No, I won't either. He, it, it's such a polarizing figure. I told you on chat today when we were talking that it's probably better for us to villainize him better as in easier 
and sure. more digestible to be done with Tyreek Hill if we can say, ah, you know, screw that guy. He's talking bad about the Chiefs. We don't like him anymore. Where, in fact, I'm sure, you know, he's going to be hard to he's going to be hard to let go for me personally. I feel like he was such a positive energy on the sideline. He was obviously the most dynamic offensive player in football and. It's just going to – I'm going to be able to move on easier if he says something on that podcast that pisses me off. And I kind of hope that happens just because otherwise I'm going to be thinking about every play that we run next year if, if Tyreek Hill was on the, on the field instead of these guys. Like, would it have mattered? But, um, yeah, I guess we will see how that goes. We'll see what needs to be said. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? With DraftKings same-game parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same-game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg does not hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TPPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. We got a mailbag. We solicited some mailbag questions. The last ones that we pulled out last week were dusty. They were a little dated. You know, we had been, uh, you know, they've been in the uh, cellar dry aging Mm -hmm. and uh, they were good. They were good questions. I mean, there's a reason we hung on to them, right? You know, like they were good enough that I took those questions. I curated them. I put them into a Google document where we store our mailbag questions and they got us through, you know, a lean week. And now this week we have another lean week. You know, we got to rely on our listeners to sort of generate content for us. And they came through. So we're going to hit this mailbag. We're going to answer your questions. We're going to shout you guys out. Thank you so much for giving us these questions. We've got some good ones this week. Let's start with lifelong Battlehawks slash Bandits fan, but mostly Battlehawks. Our guy, DP Owens J. One of our listener fantasy league participants. And also in uh, in our um, Discord as well. So one of our favorite Birds of War, if Sherman, and that will be John Sherman, the Royals owner, doesn't completely clean house this offseason, will those of you dumb enough to still root for the worst team in the worst sport finally abandon ship? That or is being out of contention yearly by OTA a feature and not a bug for Chiefs fans? So this is a Royals question, and it's inevitable that we are going to get some questions that don't directly relate to football because mm-hmm. – you know, it's it's a it's a lean time for the game of football and the sport mm-hmm. of football. Uh, that's why we had quarterbacks out playing golf on this evening that we're recording this podcast. I'm gonna let you. Uh, I'm gonna let you take the first crack at this one. Yeah, I mean, so I I do feel a bit attacked by the phrasing of those dumb enough to still root for the worst team in the worst sport because yeah. I agree with it. Like I feel attacked because it's true. Um, I do feel dumb rooting for the Royals. I do think that baseball is lost. I don't think it's the worst sport because soccer exists, but I, I do think that it's pretty brutal right now, and especially the the leadership portion of baseball. So I won't take much offense to the worst sport part. Uh, in general, if he doesn't completely clean house, there's obviously some 
some hand wringing you can do about like how much is considered completely cleaning house. I think that's one name and one name only. And I think that's, he basically, he's saying if Sherman doesn't fire Dayton Moore, right. Uh, that's, that's where it stops and ends with the Royals. And is that, is that enough? I, I do think that if he fires Dayton Moore, the rest of the dominoes that people want to see, AKA Cal Eldred, maybe Mike Matheny, certainly some call-ups that are being held back right now. Vinny Pascantino looking at you. Um, I think that the things that the fan base is clamoring for are much more likely to happen without Dayton Moore as the president of baseball operations. So long-winded answer. I do think that that is a requirement for my fandom to go from like complete apathy to slightly interested again. And I mean, I'm a huge Royals guy. I'm wearing a Royals shirt right now. I'm, I'm, I still, they're part of my DNA. Royals games. I continue to watch Royals games like an idiot. Like he said, you know, dumb enough to still root for them. However, it's to the point now where it's basically a train wreck. You know, everybody who watches them knows this. So yeah, uh, let's start with firing Dayton Moore. Let's see how that goes. I don't need him to fire everybody that's ever worked for the Royals in order to be happy. I just need him to fire Dayton Moore. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's definitely the move that needs to happen first. I mean, it's it's. I feel like we have this debate with people on Twitter a lot, and we've been having it for as long as Dayton Moore has been in charge of this organization, which I think sure. now has been, what, it was 2006? 2007 uh, the seven draft was his first draft. I think he came on mid season six. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're going on almost two years. Yeah. Right? We're going on almost two decades. Yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, it's great that the Royals won world series, obviously for us prior to the super bowl, win. it's our biggest moment in our sports yeah, lives. Exactly. The most important thing that had ever happened to us as Kansas city sports fans. It was amazing, but it was totally a fluke. It was. <laughs> yeah, a fluke. I, I I've argued with people about this all the time. If you win, people tell me if you win back to back pennants, it's not a fluke. It is a fluke. You yeah. made it to the playoffs two times in fifteen years, and mm-hmm. it happens that both times you made it to the World Series, and one year you made it to Game Seven, and you left a tying run on third base in the bottom of the ninth inning in Game Seven of the World Series, and the next year you won the World Series, but like. And the other thirteen years, you're, the, you're by far the worst team in baseball. Literally, not even in the playoffs. And you know, even if you look at what happened in the playoffs, obviously they were dominant in the lead up to the World Series in 2014, and then you know lost in seven games. Mm-hmm. Literally, the most dominant postseason you can have while not winning the World Series. But in 2015, you know they needed a six-run rally in the eighth inning against the Astros to even make it out of the first round. The and, whole fucking thing started with a miracle in the wild card game. Exactly. And, you know, that is luck. I, it just, they have not built a sustainable winner. And it's not just about that for me. Like, yeah, the whole organizational focus on things like pornography is really weird to me. Yeah. I don't want to get into that on the podcast, right? Like, it's just, but it's weird. It's weird. And it's one of those things where, like, if you're going to run your organization on principles like faith and you know character character and being against pornography that's fine if you win yes okay but like yes that's what matters in sports it's great that you feel like you're creating an organization of fine young men who are you know upstanding and of good moral character great cool right. but like great for wins, amateur sports win some baseball games yeah yeah absolutely i i know this question was mostly intended to shot at you because I do not 
<laughs> regularly watch the Royals in part because it's very hard to regularly watch baseball, yeah. um, except through illegal means, which I know is how you typically <laughs> yes. do it. Um, you know, and yeah. I'm, 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 I'm an old man now. I'm in my thirties. I can't watch baseball every night. Like I used to when I was in my mid twenties, mm -hmm. um, which is when, you know, the Royals were good and it was fun to watch them every day. So it is what it is. I, I do think like with a new owner and in particular, if the momentum for a new stadium remains strong, I do think that it's a move that probably needs to be made. Agreed. Needs to be done. We've got a question from Eric Wallenberger at Eric Wallenberger. One Not of our burger. Yeah. Well, okay. Wallenberg. Don't yeah, but mispronounce our guy, Eric, yeah, who we've been okay. talking it, about. I'm confused because his Facebook, it's fine. Whatever. Isn't this Facebook also Wallenberg? Yeah, but it's Wally Wallenberg. So that's probably like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just saying. Confused by He's it. our guy. Don't, don't say his last name wrong. No, I won't say it wrong. I, I retract all of that. Can you do your <laughs> podcast on a P. Diddy style shrimping vessel? <laughs> I, this if is more could, of a joke than a ref that you know an actual legitimate question but yeah if we could we would i mean i i would love to do the podcast from a p diddy style shrimping vessel you know a la jerry jones you know when he was on his yacht a couple years ago mm -hmm. in the nfl draft drafting mm -hmm. from the thing if we could do the podcast from anywhere i mean a p diddy style shrimping vessel some other kind of vessel any location in the world where where would where would be your podcasting uh, spot of choice well the closest we've come to podcasting on the road is when you were in hawaii right yes that's you true. recorded from your room in hawaii while i was still home i brought my recording equipment to myrtle beach we didn't end up um recording while i was there i think we pushed we just pushed the episode oh that was because the chiefs got blasted by the titans so we didn't even record an episode yeah but right. we just passed. but we passed um the point is we are willing to take the podcast on the road if need be. And as far as dream locations, I don't actually feel like a tropical destination is conducive to my like wanting to do the pod. I feel sure. like I would be too distracted by all the, just the atmosphere and all that stuff. So I would probably want to go somewhere like Tokyo, somewhere that's like right. technologically yeah, forward and, sure. and like, you know, just that type of vibe. I think if I went to Tokyo, I could sit down in a hotel room and really feel the city's energy and be able to do a fun pod like that. I like that. Yeah. We also recorded, uh, I was on the road for the, the Randy podcast. I was in Florida for that podcast. So we've taken it on the road from time to time. We may need to take it on the road again. I'm going to Germany in yes. August. And, uh, you know, for me, if I could do the podcast <laughs> the from, from any kind of vessel, <laughs> That's obviously what I'm thinking is a I P. Diddy style shrimping uh <laughs> yeah, Zeppelin. Shrimping Zeppelin. Exactly. <laughs> That'd be great. Good question. Uh Eric, we appreciate you. We got a question from Smallballer at Denver Refugee. So one of my fellow uh, Colorado expats. Kaka! Will this be the year Mahomes hands the ball off more often on the RPO? Oh, I sure hope so. Man, I saw a tweet about boxes, which we We've seen a lot over the years, but about loaded boxes and how often teams face men in the box, that type of tendency. And the the deal was that the Chiefs faced six or fewer in the box last season, a NFL high 12% of their snaps, and the next highest was 3%. Oh, boy. So clearly teams decided to out. drop everyone out of the box, and they didn't. Respect Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He had a 
expected yards per carry last year, which was like top 10, I think it was, or top eight or something uh, among running backs, but his actual yards per carry were in the fours. So he had a, a pretty significant drop off in what was expected of him versus what he actually produced. Now there's been some talk about Clyde being a little banged up, um, you know, maybe not being his full physical self last year that he expected. And, you know, with the offensive line being new last year, maybe it took a little time for that whole operation to kind of become a full unit. Um, clearly in the next second year of, of Creed and Trey Smith, um, you know, we're expecting a little bit more consistency out of that unit. So I sure hope that when Mahomes reads those RPOs, he's seeing more opportunities to hand the ball off to Clyde. But honestly, if he's not and he's still throwing the ball, like I still would rather the best player in the in the universe have the football. So like I'm not going to be that bothered if he doesn't throw it very much from the RPO. Yeah, no, me neither. And I think we've talked about this on the podcast before throughout the off season, but I think it's noteworthy that uh, the chiefs, the guys, the chiefs have brought in this off season are kind of dudes. Yeah, they're dudes. They're, they're, they're sort of the opposite of Clyde Edwards. Now Uh Ronald Jones and Clyde Edwards, surprisingly are only one pound different in listed weight. (laughs) Clyde is is listed at 207. Ronald Jones listed at 208. They sure don't play like it. And Ronald Jones is three inches taller. So, like, based on body mass alone, (laughs) you would would think. This is what I wanted to avoid is a conversation (laughs) about body mass. You would think that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire would be, be, you know, sort of a more robust guy. The difference, of course, is that Ronald Jones has burst. He has pop. He has long speed. He had a 99-yard touchdown last year, you know. Like, the other guy of course that we've been talking about is isaiah pacheco and he's a guy that that is literally like almost the exact opposite of clyde instead of you know clyde's got all of his uh his uh attribute points in sort of shiftiness and yeah his pips uh you know sort of in shiftiness and you know he's got like he he leveled up his spin move and everything like that and isaiah Mm pacheco is just huge Mm -hmm. and fast Mm -hmm. those are the things that he is and like those are the guys that i want to hand the ball off two on an RPO when there's only six guys in the box. Yeah. It's like will punish you for it. All he has to do is run forward. Yeah. And there's not enough guys in the box. I mean, behind this offensive line, it doesn't matter if his vision's not that good. It doesn't matter if he's not that elusive. Like he'll just pop right through, you know, a seam in that defensive line and it'll be gone. Like and even if he's not gone, his first contact is going to be a seven yard run. Like right. all you need to do is fall forward when there's that light of boxes. Right. And and that's a huge boon for the offense. But Clyde just didn't really have that gear in. Right. Completely agree. Uh, we've got one here from Mike Denny at Cap'n underscore Denny. Does schooling casuals on Twitter lose some of its luster when they don't have any followers? I think this question was, was directed <laughs> at you. Uh, well, this time you it spent, was. You, well, exactly. You spent a lot of time on Twitter today just clowning some people with uh, a handful of followers. Um, to me, it doesn't. I I mean, listen, you, you said this time it was you. Obviously, this is something that I've done. <laughs> I, I run my Twitter account now with 7,500 followers pretty much the same way that I ran my Twitter account three years ago when I had like 150 followers, which is to say that if somebody's wrong on the internet, they're going to know about it from me <laughs> and I'm just going to crush them. And I don't care how many followers they have in that respect. And probably in that respect alone, I see a lot of Tyron Matthew in myself and in you as well. 
<laughs> yeah. You know, there's a there's just a certain mindset for arguing on Twitter. It's a different mindset than arguing against a person in real life or even someone you know. It's it's a whole different ballgame. And if someone usually the way I approach it is if someone wants to come at me, then I'm going to give it to them with both barrels constantly until they stop coming at me. That That's just kind of my, you know, I'm not going to go attack someone. And if I see a dumb opinion that they're not engaging me with, I'm usually not going to be the one that goes in there like a lot of trolls do and start lighting them up with, oh, you're such a fucking idiot and blah, blah, blah. Like I'll say stuff. And if someone wants to then look at what I'm saying and reply to me with some sort of like, you're an idiot, then it's on. Then I'm going to literally do nothing but reply to every tweet you send with the most inflammatory shit I can until you stop. And that's just fun for me. That's how it goes. And I don't care really what their Twitter profile is. I don't really care if they're a zero follower person that we've engaged with plenty of times that just, you know, can't quit. Or if there's someone that's a big high profile person, the only the only annoying thing with high profile people is what they really like to do is quote tweet you so yeah. that every time you say something, they'll quote it so that their followers, sure. they make sure they, they their followers know that they're arguing with someone, right? Like yeah. the people with no followers, backup. they have no backup. And so they'll just sit there and go back and forth with you on one thread. And that's kind of my speed. I like to do that a lot more than the whole like chasing after all this quote tweet thread bullshit. So just sure. my thoughts on the zero follower trolls. Yeah, I mean, long story short, for me, it doesn't lose any of its luster. Um, no. In fact, sometimes it's uh, it's enjoyable. I the only thing is now that I have an audience and I have a following, like occasionally I just want people to recognize the work that I'm doing because occasionally <laughs> I'm doing really good, good. work and nobody's yeah. seeing it. Yeah, and that that makes me sad. So sometimes I have to pop a quick quote tweet on there just so that i can kind of bring some attention to what i'm doing because sure. i do some of my best work against people that have no followers i mean it just it you is do. what it is uh jackie daytona at tm whisker Ka-ka! can veach pull double duty as chiefs and royals gm now i'm choosing to take this question seriously as can he it, is it possible yeah right could he do it i think that he could Listen, I mean, I'm not saying that he'd be a great baseball GM, but as we've already talked about with the Royals leadership, and I understand that Dayton Moore technically is not the general manager anymore, but let's be honest, yeah. he runs the show. Yep. He's the man upstairs. He's the mastermind <laughs> in the coil. Yes, he and is. it just, the whole system is flawed. Their approach to how they build an organization is flawed. They don't understand how to run an organization. So Brett Veach at, at his core is a scout. That's how he started mm-hmm. with the chiefs. He's a talent evaluator. Mm-hmm. And do I think Brett Veach could step in and evaluate baseball players talent? No, but one thing that I think that Brett Veach has really developed as a general manager, since he took over for John Dorsey is frankly a side of the job that John Dorsey never got and ne- has never gotten in multiple stops as a general manager. Now, which is the the big picture, right? Like yeah. beyond the scouting eye and just being the super scout that happens to get promoted because he's really good at evaluating talent. There's a lot of other things that go into being a general manager. And I think the, the biggest strides that Brett Veach has made is being able to work with people. Uh, we, of course, we'll never forget, you know, when John Dorsey, like, cut Jeremy Macklin on his wedding weekend with like a voicemail, you know, just like shit like that. And 
I think the biggest thing is just knowing what your own shortcomings are and being able to put good people around you and put trust trust in those people. And I think Dayton Moore does that, but I think he's bad at it. And I think Brett Veach is very good at it. Let me illustrate why I think Brett Veach is so good at his job. And I'll illustrate this with a question. Do you think that Dayton Moore, with his 162 regular season game season and his three, four, five minor league rosters plus major league roster, all the different rounds of the MLB draft, all the different players that come in through the Royals organization every year. Do you think that there's any way that Dayton Moore has put in more time in his job than Brett Feech has put in as general manager of the Chiefs? On no. A basis? Like, no, there's no chance. No chance at all. I think that Brett Veach, by by just doing the work and just – being committed to every single day thinking nonstop about the team, which you can tell he he gives off those vibes. He's just addicted to football, right? Like he's yes. that's just his whole persona. And Dayton Moore, honestly, if if I found out that he didn't know certain rules of baseball or, or the way that certain things worked on the diamond, I wouldn't be surprised at all. He doesn't feel like a baseball nut. He feels like a preacher that's been put in charge of this roster. And it's just not, he doesn't give me the vibes of someone that cares and uh, cares about the sport. Now he certainly seems like he cares about the people, but cares about whether or not they're watching pornography, whether or not they're masturbating. That's what he cares about. That's his whole focus of his entire life. And it's just, it, it drives me nuts. And I think that the whole reason that Brett Veach could do both of these jobs is because I think he already works twice as hard as Dayton Moore. So if you give Dayton Moore's job to Brett Veach, I think he'd be a better GM than Dayton Moore. I honestly do. I think yeah. he would care more and would put would ask the right people who he knows know the real answers. Like Dayton Moore doesn't sound like someone who would ever ask someone for their opinion and use it. Like he just right. is an idiot. And, and so yes, I do think that the Royals organization is an organization of yes men. I think yes. that they. Yes. I think that they very deliberately surround themselves with people that are that all think the same way. It used to be that they were bringing over guys from the Braves organization where Dayton Moore kind of, you know, um, came of age in his baseball career. And now, weirdly, it's like the, the Cardinals, mm-hmm. which is just reprehensible on a number of levels. But it's yeah. like they're bringing in guys like Mike Matheny because Mike Matheny's – I don't want to offend any of our Christian listeners, you know, like – but like – Mike Matheny is a man of faith, you know, like he's a man of God and that kind of thing. Right. And like, okay. But again, like it really comes down to, are you winning games? And that is the bottom line. And I do think that, like, I actually think if you, like, if you sat Brett Beach and Dayton Moore down and you asked each of them, like, what is the most important thing about your job? I think Brett Veach would say winning Super Bowl. Yes. And I, I think Dayton Moore would say, you know, creating quality young men. Yeah. Developing yeah. character in young men, yeah. which yeah. is not the point. That's no. great, but that's not the point. No Win games. No, it's not the point at all. And look, this isn't offensive to, to people of faith because they would all, if they're intelligent, admit that their faith should have nothing to do with sports. Right. That's it's they're they're two completely unrelated fields. It doesn't say we're not saying don't ha- it's we're not saying hire people that are specifically 
not don't have religion or whatever. Like it's not a detriment, but it's it's a quality that shouldn't matter. And Dayton Moore makes it his number one focus, and that's not the way it should be. And he's an idiot. So thank you for the question, Jackie Daytona. Boy, we've got some some Royals rants coming out in this episode. It's inevitable. It's June first. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's they happening. suck. They're the worst team in baseball in years five of the rebuild. That's bad. Ernest Hamingway <laughs> at, at, at errors underscore thanks oceans. for the submission. Yeah, thanks for the submission. I think this is the first time. Yeah. He is somebody that I've interacted with a number of times on Twitter, so we appreciate the question. Um, I think this is the first time we've gotten a question from him, and we appreciate that. Sorry this was addressed on last week's episode, but what do we make of McCoy's comments about Eric Bieniemy? Yeah, I mean, we did talk briefly about it, but essentially um, LaShawn McCoy was a player who was at the – twilight of his career and we saw that by his very little production that he actually had in tampa bay the year after the chiefs so i do think that part of that colored what he said about eric b but i also think that there's a nugget of truth there which was essentially him saying that b holds the wrong people accountable and he's hard to work with and kind of insinuated that he was the reason that Lashawn mccoy didn't want to continue to be a chief now I think that anyone who moves on from a job like that and doesn't have success, like I'm sure he has bitter feelings about the end of his NFL career in general, although he ended it with two Super Bowls. Yeah, he probably right. should, Which but he literally was inactive for both. Of yes. Them, but. Yeah, and, and he calls himself two times Super Bowl champion. Yeah, whatever. You know, it's, it is what it is. But um, I do think that the B enemy stuff is kind of beauty in the eye of the beholder with the quote. Like if you want to read into it, the B enemy sucked, you probably can. And if you want to read into, into it that LaShawn McCoy is bitter, you probably can. That's fair. I, I agree with that. I thought Andy addressed it appropriately. Um, you don't very often see Andy Reid kind of take – I don't don't know that he was necessarily taking a shot at LaShawn McCoy, but he I, certainly – I agree with what you're saying. He certainly rare. made it obvious that LaShawn McCoy was washed without yeah. saying those exact words. Yeah, he said he uh what how did he phrase it? It was some hilarious innuendo. Yeah, I mean he basically said he was in the didn't have back enough, end of his career and uh, yeah, but he said like yeah. he didn't have enough very much gas left in the tank or something. Yeah, then, yeah right. Very right. funny Andy saying. Yeah, basically said he was washed. We've got one here from one of our Birds of War Chief Justin O at Chief Justin O. <laughs> nice synchronization there. Appreciate okay. that. In honor of Top Gun Maverick, which I still haven't seen. God what other 30 plus year old movies need sequels slash reboots? So I attacked this question by looking at the IMDb top 250 to kind of give me some inspiration. Yeah, and I've sure. got I've got two for you here. Okay. So one is one of my all time favorite movies. It has the literally the greatest opening scene in movie history. I've tweeted about it frequently. I talk about it all the time. It's Once Upon a Time in the West, yeah. a Sergio Leone classic western. So I, I feel like the western genre as Westerns has sort of gone away, but we had like, you know, we had like Westworld, the Mandalorian is really a Western. It just is in space. You know, mm -hmm. like I feel like there's, there's ample room to sort of bring back these uh, epic Westerns. And I'm not saying remake once upon a time in the West. It's classic. It's timeless. Charles Bronson, Henry Fonda. It's, it's amazing. If you have not seen it before, I highly recommend it. You do have to set aside about three hours to watch that. It's yeah, uh, sure. It's a beast. Uh, but I feel like that would be uh, sort of fertile ground. We don't get a whole lot of Westerns anymore. Uh, I've always really enjoyed Western Sergio Leone. Quentin Tarantino, heavily inspired by Sergio Leone. So if, if you've never seen, for example, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, go watch that. And, you know, if, like, if you like Tarantino movies, you will, like, immediately see 
how much influence that had on him as a director, for example. The other one is a movie that I've not ever seen. And uh, it is uh, classic, quote unquote. Uh, it's actually four hours long. It's Gone with the Wind. Uh, this is a movie that I, I have never seen and I will never see because I know the general premise of Gone with the Wind and it's absurd and it's offensive to me. Like it's basically about how great the South was. It's a movie that uh, is sort of in a genre that Hollywood was very big on in the thirties and forties, because there were a lot of racists in Hollywood and they were basically all Southern apologists. (laughs) And they wanted to make these movies that glorified the old South and, you know, sort of portrayed the institution of slavery as sort of a benevolent institution. I'm over that. That's it's 2022, you know, like there's a reason this movie got removed from Disney plus or whatever. And it's because it sucks shit and it's racist. (laughs) I've never, I've never seen it, but I know enough about it to be able to make that, that call. And what I feel like would be fertile and, uh, and really effective and productive in 2022 is to take that narrative, but just flip it on its face, right? Like make the movie about the uh, African-American characters, right? Like maybe go full Django unchained with it and turn it into like, uh, you know, a a, slavery, a slavery revenge piece. Like, you know, like a, a Quentin Tarantino esque sort of a twist where, you know, um, whatever her name is, Scarlett O'Hara gets, uh, gets murdered and uh, the plantation gets burned to the ground. I feel like that would be, that would be really productive. So those are my two, uh, my two choices. Yeah, sure. A lot of fun, classic movies that have not been remade or rebooted or sequeled that when you think about would be a lot of fun. Uh, For some reason, the first movie, and maybe this is just because this topic is always on my mind, but the first movie that came to my mind was E.T. I feel like E.T. came out in 82. It was a classic, obviously. It was great effects. It was a great story. Um, I think that with today's CGI and and tech and just a little bit more emphasis on things being a little bit flashier and more complicated, that you could do something like E.T. that's maybe a little bit more um, thrilling or intense that's still great and fun and that was just kind of whenever i thought about like what's a great old movie that i would love to see someone else get another crack at because spielberg's obviously the goat but like there's still fun stories to be remade so that was my first one and my second one is a kind of a different twist which would be the movie clue which was 1985 Mm. very classic whodunit one of my all-time favorites comedies and just kind of a you know putting the pieces together and it was a lot of fun based on the board game but the way that they put all those people in the house and did all the different um murder types and and all that stuff was just a lot of lot a lot of fun and i would love to see a modernization of clue because that movie cracks me up yeah and a great you know ensemble cast with uh tim curry of course uh, (laughs) leading the way yeah uh yeah that's a good one that uh clue reboot would be really interesting i don't know if you've seen knives out but that's sort yeah. of uh sort yes. of very much in that same mold and i know they're very doing much. a sequel to knives out so um but yeah a clue reboot would be would be really interesting we've got one here from nick mullins at koyo cephas i think i got that right and i think this is the first time we've had a question from uh from nick so welcome so. to the podcast uh how quickly do you think nick bolton leo chanel and george Karloftis could build you a fence around a 0.5 acre lot, half acre lot. Do you think there is a better three person crew <laughs> on the team? I love this. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We've got a lot of we've got a lot of beef boys on the team that that certainly could uh could do a job like a like a fence build pretty quickly. Um 
I didn't really see Nick Bolton as like an ideal fence building candidate. I don't know if that was just the linebacker. I guess Leo Chanel is a linebacker, but I don't really think of him as a linebacker. I think of him as a terminator. So like, sure. it's just a little right. bit different for me. I was thinking maybe just to tweak this threesome because it's kind of boring to just say those are the three best. I would probably sub out Leo Nick Bolton and sub in Creed Humphrey. Mm-hmm. And Creed's like a, you know, Oklahoma farm boy type that I just feel like would already have 10 different great ways to put up a fence that the other guys didn't even know about. So, um, but it's a great crew and clearly those dudes are there to work. They're there to do physical labor. Um, Carl Oftis is gigantic and Chanel will run through any wall you put up in front of him. So it's a, it's a, it's a fun question for sure. Chanel and wall are, are rhyming words and that I feel like has some, uh, Oh, some fertile ground yeah, there for it, potential. It does for sure. We're gonna have to workshop uh-huh. that a little bit. Um, I like that. I definitely think the the Creed Humphrey choice is pretty inspired. I don't know a whole lot about Nick Bolton's background. Obviously, Leo Chanel. Um, he grew up literally with like ten brothers and sisters, yep. and he's from Wisconsin. So he's, he's like the guy. he's like the number one overall choice by far. He could probably do it faster by himself than yeah, any three other players could. on the team. He probably yeah. could. And he probably could do it faster by himself than if he had two other guys helping. <laughs> They're just going to slow him down, to yeah, be honest correct. with you. That's good. So the best three-person crew on the team is actually a one-person <laughs> crew. It's Leo Chanel. Um, I do think, though, uh, I, the Creed Humphrey pick is inspired. He's obviously, he's got the the country's strength and, uh, yeah, the and mass. know-how. I think uh, I think Michael Burton is a guy that could, uh, yeah. could certainly be productive. You know, like uh, y- you mentioned that you think of Leo Chanel as a Terminator. I actually think of him in my mind as a fullback, like Leo Chanel. Uh, yeah. It's just, you know, like spiritually, yeah. if Leo Chanel were an offensive player, he would play fullback. And certainly. that's just the position that he would play. And if he had come into the NFL 30 years ago, he might have been a fullback. Uh, I think Michael Burton, fullbacks definitely have, you know, there that's the position that is going to build you a fence the fastest around a half acre lot. So, yes, um, I think we've I think we've got that one pretty well covered. That is a great question. Very funny. Uh, we've got one from uh, Bird of War Cultured Swine at password underscore is taco. <laughs> is it time to lobby Patrick Holmes to do something about the Royals? <laughs> I love how do half something. the mailbag questions yeah. are about the Royals and how terrible they are. They are the worst team in baseball. Yeah. The man brought Whataburger to KC. Maybe he can bring competence to the Royals. Yeah, I mean, if anyone could, it's him, obviously. If there's someone that is is invested in the team currently right now that has literally, literally invested and, and has the drive for the best thing that for Kansas City, I mean, you know, I, I, I get where he's coming from. This is a funny question that kind of sounds like a joke, and it might have even been intended as a joke, but, like, Patrick – please do something like that. That's a serious request. Like he can, he can convince somebody to fire Dayton more. He could talk to John Sherman. He can say as a part owner myself, I'm going to put my foot down and say that I'm going to publicly come out and condemn the Royals if they don't fire Dayton more. So um, yeah, I hope he can do something ASAP. I mean, honestly, like I wonder how much power really he, he could wield. Like he does not strike me as the kind of guy that, would do that agree sort of like publicly come out and trash no, the never world would. He, never he, would. he would never do that and he probably is not the kind of guy that would be scheming about it behind the scenes but like no. realistically if he did do that yeah 
I mean, like Dayton Moore would be gone. <laughs> like, yes, yeah, like, for sure, he man. Literally, all he, he would runs do, this town. Literally, if he tweeted like, "Boy, I fire Dayton Moore, Dayton Moore guy," he'd, Hashtag, be, yeah. he'd be out of town literally, like by that the night. end of the day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I really do think like, and he is really the right guy to turn the team around in the sense that, like, I mean, you know, he's a competitive prick. As Eric Bieniemy mm-hmm. says, we we mm-hmm. just saw him playing golf today. You could see the uh, competitive spirit when he's just out there playing in a charity golf tournament. Like Patrick Mahomes doesn't want the Royals to be the worst team in baseball. Hell no, he wants so, to win every World Series every year. You know, uh, he uh, he probably does have the power to do something about it. Maybe we should just start tweeting at him every day. We could start essentially like a letter writing campaign, but we can we can modernize it for 2022. We can bring it up to speed. Maybe just. Hashtag Dear Pat, please fire Dayton Moore, turn this team around, downtown stadium, etc. Uh, mm-hmm. Good question. Uh, password is taco. We've got one from Uncle Dude at QuickWit13. When dipping Oreos, do you dip until the bubble stop or before? This is a good question and very apropos because I did crush a tube of uh, of mini, the, the thin Oreos this week. And I think the dipping strategy for Oreos does vary depending on what kind of Oreos you have. I know you are a double, triple, <laughs> mega, whatever mm-hmm. stuff guy. Uh-huh. You know, the, the more stuff you can fit in there, the more cream you get in your cookie, the better it is for you. Uh, I myself prefer a more balanced ratio. I do love the Oreo thins. And the Oreo thins, you can get those to soak all the way through uh, really quickly. I probably have mentioned this on the podcast before because this is a well-known quirk of my personality. I really prefer my Oreos to be like liquid when I consume them. Like I want them to be completely saturated and uh, pro tip, uncle dude, if you've not heard me talk about this on the podcast before or tweet about this, uh, hot tea is a great way to consume Oreos. I would imagine it would also work with coffee or even hot water or any kind of hot beverage. Um, that will like almost instantly liquefy your Oreo and also will heat it up. So it has a nice warmth. Uh, just goes goes down really easy. Um, to answer the question, I wait until the bubbles stop, but with and a then thin you go Oreo. Next to 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, right now. I, I don't because the problem is at a certain point they become so saturated they sink. You have to hit that nice sweet spot where it's fully saturated. It's gonna melt in your mouth because it's you know so full of delicious milk, but uh, it's not going to sink to the bottom of the cup, and then you have to kind of like scrape it out. Um, that's not an ideal situation. So. Uh, just right after the bubble stop, and then maybe yeah, a couple more seconds after that. I will briefly describe my Oreo consumption, which is that I no longer I am I am strictly double stuffed. I went above double stuff for a one <laughs> too much for one effort, and it was too much. It was too much stuff. You know, you got to know how much stuff is too much stuff, and super stuff or whatever that batch was called was too much for me. Uh, but double stuff is great. I do not eat Oreos with any liquid. I eat them dry. I love them. Oh, and that's so weird. it's not weird. It is the number one way to eat the Oreo is dry. But According I to, res- whom, to you, yeah, it's got to be. You cited it's gotta be. such a It's number one because it has I, to be. I thought you were maybe going to like cite <laughs> some study that said yeah. that most people I, eat Oreos without milk, which is obviously preposterous. That's not how people eat <laughs> 
You're uh, but, you're a special guy. You don't eat your cereal with milk either. So, you know. I don't. I was hoping to avoid that conversation, but no. No, I'm a dry cereal uh, guy. At too. Taylor underscore wit. Let him no. know what weirdo he is. <laughs> I'm going to edit that part out of the pot. <laughs> That's fair. You have that power. We've got a couple from our guy, Jordan Screen, the king of the birds of war, at Mr. J1128. We've got a couple. He actually gave us three. We're going to save one for a future episode. When does Arrowhead and Kaufman get picked up by Coors Light after seeing Mahomes pound all these Coors during the match? I mean, I, Arrowhead, you know, whatever. We've got Giha Field at Arrowhead Stadium. Sure, give me Coors Light Field at Arrowhead Stadium. The only trepidation I have about Coors as a brand for the Chiefs is that it is a Colorado company. And, mm-hmm. you know, Denver, Golden, mm-hmm. Broncos etc. Obviously, it's a national brand, and they really only associate with Colorado when it's convenient, you know, yeah. like when they've yeah. got the mountains that turn blue when the beer is cold, or, you know, Rocky cool. Mountain, High Country Barley, whatever. You know, like, yeah. it is what it is. Uh, but the Royals, I mean, sure, we've got a lot of uh, Royals tie-ins with this episode. Absolutely make it, you know, Coors Light Field at Kauffman Stadium, and, you know, maybe that sponsorship can... Uh, can buy some better players and well, there's hopefully a better field. manager. <laughs> That's sure. But this is Coors Light. I, <laughs> it's, it's a different, it's a different brand. Oh, that is funny. That is funny. Yeah. I mean, having Coors Field and Coors Light Field. <laughs> we would be the light one. <laughs> Coors Light Field at Coffin Stadium. Boy, if you're a light version of the Rockies. Right. Exactly. You are not a well-run organization. That's kind of um, the sitch. Uh, I do think what would be really funny is if the Royals just went heavy on sponsorships like a freaking nascar brand and just yeah. had like every single aspect even like coors brought to you by cheese it's i mean sorry the royals brought to you by cheese it's or whatever like even high level as high whatever they can possibly sell the advertising i just think it'd be really funny to just lean into the joke organization aspect that'd be good yeah and i mean you know if they're about making money then i guess that's one way to do it right like it i don't know the they whole have con- no integrity left so like <sighs> the whole in- integrity of the game is messed up the sport's broken there's like 270 million dollars separating the top payrolls from the bottom payrolls doesn't make any sense it's a terrible game baseball needs to get fixed maybe patrick mahomes and course light is the way to do that how does mahomes do in a game of char d mcdennis who from the gang plays with him now We've seen Charlie McDennis played in two and three man teams. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking at most he's going to have one to two teammates. And how how does he do? Well, he clearly can hold his liquor. He got stronger as the golf game went on after he started cracking quarters. So that part of it is the the whole spirit, you know, beer, spirits, all that stuff. That's taken care of. He's great. He's a drinker. He's been a pro drinker since his Super Bowl parade days. And and clearly the dude knows what he's doing around some liquor. Um, as far as the, you know, the tests of, of mind, mind, mind exactly. The, as far as the test of mind goes, like there aren't too many football players that are smarter than Patrick Mahomes. He's clearly shown an aptitude towards, study and and film breakdown and and knowing what everybody's going to do and i mean that's been one of the marvels that we've had about him is not only is his physical tools so extreme but he's got the brain for it too so i mean i honestly i don't think you could really build a stronger charlie mcdennis player than patrick mahomes now 
I guess, public humiliation. That gets to the point where he's handled that pretty well. With yeah, his, I mean, he's undergone a lot of with his brother and his, yeah, wife. And his wife. They've given him some reasons, even though I don't agree with them, some reasons for the public to try and get under Mahomes' skin. And clearly he's thriving despite that. So I think he's the perfect candidate. I think he would be undefeated. Who from the gang would play with him? Now, I think the obvious answers here are, you know, this guy, Derek Dieter, <laughs> technically not on the team at the moment right now so you know um i think travis kelsey would be trav yeah. an extremely strong candidate obviously I, I mean both in terms of being able to hold his liquor i mean mind body and spirit uh yeah the mind part of it travis kelsey's a smart guy don't get me wrong yeah and i think he's a much smarter more cerebral guy than people give him credit for because of the you know his his party boy kind his of attitude. persona. Yeah, his persona. Yeah, do it, Kels. Yeah, but uh, he's he's a very smart guy. And then obviously the body and the spirit, extremely strong. I mean, honestly, like if Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey were to form a two-man Charlie McDennis team, I don't think there's anybody that could stand in the way. Mm -hmm.